It's time for a look into God's infallible book, and we want to welcome you again to another edition of The Riches of Grace. It's my privilege each week to be your host and Bible teacher. My name is Richard Jordan. I want to welcome you to an opportunity for us to fellowship together around God's Word together. This program is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power authority. And our, our goal, our aim in, 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 in uh, what we're doing here is to help you to understand and enjoy the Bible. Our, our, our desire is to help you to have God's Word work effectually in you when you believe it, as opposed to the traditions uh, the, and the treadmill uh, of, of the religious system and the performance-based acceptance of external religious activity that uh, religion represents. There's life in Christ Jesus. That's why we call this program The Riches of Grace. And uh, we, we trust that our time together will be a rich help and blessing to you in having the life of Jesus Christ live in your life because you simply rest your faith in an intelligent word, uh, an intelligent understanding of God's word to you. I want to look with you today at, a, at, at an ancient question um, that, that's been on the minds of man. The very first book in the Bible, uh, Job asked the question in Job chapter 9, it says, how then shall a man be just with God. When, when the Philippian jailer asked Paul that age-old question in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, when he said to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Uh, the, the, the response was quick in coming. It was personal in nature, and it was clear in its content. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can be saved, and anybody else associated with you who will believe can be saved too. Since that day, that's been the question, what must I do to be saved? And the only real answer has been the answer Paul gave, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. To be saved, to be delivered in the case of the Philippian jailer, it was obviously to be delivered from more than physical danger because the danger, the earthquake, was past. There's a spiritual danger to be delivered from. The circumstances in which the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas that question, the, the great earthquake that had opened the, the doors of the prison, those circumstances demonstrated that there was more to life than just physical life. Recognizing that, he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Not just physical salvation, but something much more than that, spiritual salvation. And Paul's answer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a foundational truth of the Word of God. You know, my friend, sin is the great enemy of the soul. Sin is not your friend. Sin isn't something that's liberating you and is making you better and is upgrading your life. Sin is an enemy. Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Think about that for a minute. The wages of sin. A wage is, is, is something that you earn, something that you get for your labor. There's an old preacher who had a, had a sermon called Payday Someday. There is a payday for sin. And the paycheck is death. Now, that's physical death, of course. Chapter 5 of Romans, verse number 12, is very clear. That um, whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. 
so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Then he's talking there about death reigning from Adam to Moses. Physical death is the result of sin. I stood beside the the casket of a of a of, of a uh, an elderly man who had died rather suddenly, wasn't uh, expected to die. And his wife standing there with his family, and his wife looked at me with tear-stained eyes and said, "Why, why did he die? He was such a good man." Well, the reason he died was sin. You see, the wages of sin is death, and physical death comes because of sin, the degenerative nature of sin in our bodies. Every time you go by a cemetery, it's a testimony to the truth of God's Word. But there's more to it than just death of your physical body. Did you ever remember that verse over there in Revelation chapter number 21, where John in Revelation chapter 21 says, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters. And you say, but wait a minute, preacher, I'm not any of those things. Somebody listening may say, I'm all those things. But most people say, that's not me. But let me finish reading. And all liars. Now, how many did we leave out then? That's right. We got pretty near everybody, didn't we? In fact, we didn't get pretty near everybody. We got everybody. And all liars, now listen, shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is, now listen carefully, the second death. Now, if it's the second death, that means there's a first one. That's the physical death. But after the physical death, there is a second death. There is a spiritual death. That's more than the physical. The wages of sin is death, physical death and spiritual death. Physical death, you're put to bed with a shovel to throw dirt in your face, and you become a maggot, a carnival for the maggots. Job said, though the worms eat my flesh. Then there's spiritual death. Just as your body goes into the grave, the rich man died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. Before your soul has an opportunity to put on an asbestos suit and get ready, it'll wind up in the what the Bible calls the, the lake of fire, hell and the lake of fire, which is the second death. That is the death of your inner man. You see, there, you know there's really two yous. There's the outward man, and then there's the inward man. And you know that. You have that innate knowledge that you're living inside of a body. And that though that body is you, it isn't all there is to you. So there's the way sin of sin is your enemy, and it affects your outer man, and it affects your inner man. But the Romans six twenty three doesn't stop there. It says, "But," and I love the buts. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now notice the contrast. There's a wage that sin gets. Then there's a gift that the Lord Jesus Christ gives. The wage, what you earn because of your sin, is your part in the lake of fire, death, which is the second death. What God gives you, what Jesus Christ gives you as a free gift, everybody knows a gift isn't something you work for. 
It's something someone else worked and paid for and then gives you at their expense. The gift of God is eternal life. Death is the opposite of life. A wage is the opposite of a gift. That's the reason the verse said, for the wages of sin is death, but there's a contrast. The gift, not a wage, the free gift of God is eternal life, not death in the lake of fire, but eternal life in Christ. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, how is it that Jesus Christ can give you life when you earned death? Now, that's a great question. How is that possible? I had a, a man gave me recently a, an article written by a religious leader of a religion other than, it's not a Christian religion, not somebody that would believe the book of Romans, for example. And they said that in, in their religion, you didn't need someone else to do it for you. They did it for themselves. And the great difference between their religion and Christianity is that in Christianity, someone else has to do for you. In their religion, you do it yourself. And that's, that's really the difference between religion and life in Christ Jesus. There's a lot of Christians believe they have to do it themselves, or at least let God help them do it. Now, my question to that would be, how you doing? If you've got to do it yourself, you've got a problem. You know what the problem is? You don't do it. Romans 3.23 tells the truth about you and about me. It says, for the wages, I'm sorry, for all have sinned. There's no difference, Romans 3.22 says. There's no difference. Same thing's true of you, same thing's true of me. Same thing's true of me, same, same thing true of you. You're not any better than I am. There's no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the difficulty that the Bible recognizes is that you can't do it for yourself. Religion says, oh, trust yourself. Well, how you doing when you trust yourself? You're trusting a failure. No matter how hard you try, how far you jump, how diligent you are, your heart that conscience you've got down inside of your soul accuses and excuses, and it points out you don't, re you don't really do it. Make the rules as simple as they can be. You know, somebody says, well, Brother Rick, you think we should keep the Ten Commandments? Why? How could, how could ten rules be any simpler than that, than they are? Sure, you ought to keep them. How you doing? See, the problem is, should you, the problem is you don't. And the Bible says if a man keeps the whole law and offends in one point, then he's guilty of all. Then how is it that, that we can deserve the wages of sin, which is death, and yet God can give us a gift, which is life, through Jesus Christ our Lord? That's how he does it, through Christ. Romans 5, verse 8, But God, listen to this, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You need to listen to that. But God commendeth his love toward us. God says here, see how much I love you. In that while we were yet sinners, we weren't being religious. 
we weren't trying to do better. We weren't repenting and telling God how sorry we were for what we did. We were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, Colossians 1.22 says. And Colossians 1.22 says, When we were alienated and enemies in our mind by wicked works, yet in the body of his flesh through death, he's reconciled us to God. You see, God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What was the wages of sin? Death. So what did Jesus Christ do? He died. He paid your sin debt. He went and collected your paycheck that said death. And when he, when he went to Calvary, he died. He died physically, but he died spiritually. You remember that passage back in Isaiah 53? Everybody likes to quote Isaiah 53. Wonderful passage, marvelous passage back here about, about the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah 53, verse 8. It talks about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. It said he was cut off out of the land of the living. That's his physical death. But then verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make, listen, his soul an offering for sin. Verse 12, he said, Because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. You see, by, the, by his knowledge, that's why verse 11 in Isaiah 53 says, by his knowledge shall many righteous servant, shall my righteous servant justify many. Why? Because he made his soul. That's not just your physical body. That's your inner man. That's that inner man. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, you remember he cried, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's the first cry. Then later on he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You realize that every time Jesus Christ spoke from the cross, seven times, he quoted scripture. When he was saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. Well, the answer about why God forsook him is in verse 3, where he continues and he says, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest praises of Israel. He knew that at that moment God had made him to be sin for us. God took our sin, placed it on his soul, and accounted him in our stead. And God made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now, in that moment, when God had made him to be sin for us, he says about himself in verse number 6, Psalm 22, 6, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. When he says, I am a worm and not a man. Wow. You say, what does that mean, Brother Rick? Well, you know, the best way to determine something is to look for another verse in the Bible that explains it. So if you come over to Isaiah chapter 66, you'll see that term worm used again. I'm a worm and not a man. Isaiah 66 talking about a future day, not talking about the cross, but talking about a future day when Jesus Christ sits as King of kings and Lord of lords and reigns on the earth from Jerusalem. It talks about some people coming up to worship him. And Isaiah 66, verse 23 says, It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before the Lord, before me, saith the Lord. Now, listen. And they shall go forth 
and look upon the carcasses of, the, of them that transgressed them against me. For their worm dieth not, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Now you say, well, what is that, Brother Rick? When they go out and see these people where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Well, that verse is quoted in, Isaiah, in Mark chapter number 9 by Jesus Christ. In Mark 9, in his earthly ministry, our Lord says, if thy, right hand, if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life main than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. You see, what he's describing when he talks about that worm that dies not, the fires that's not quenched, he's describing the destiny over in Revelation 21 called the second death. Not just the death of his physical body, but the death of his soul. Jesus told some people, he says, What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? You see, if you were to lose your soul, how would you lose your soul? You'd lose it in hell. You'd lose it in the second death. On the cross of Calvary, when Jesus Christ died, he didn't simply die physically. He did that. But he literally suffered in his soul. The experience that you and I should experience for eternity in the lake of fire. He suffered the second death. That transformation that the Bible calls the second death. He suffered all that death, he, he suffered all the death that sin can bring for you. Now, Romans 5, Paul says, God commended his love toward us. That's the, the demonstration of the love and the grace of God. The Bible says that he tasted death for every man. He went right down into the depths of your sin and your death. And God manifests his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. Herein is love, the Bible says. Not that we should love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the fully satisfying payment for our sins. Can you see in that how God has provided salvation, deliverance from the penalty of sin, from the penalty of sin that reaches down into your soul, and seeks to damn your soul for eternity? That's the key. Now, that's why Paul would say in Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God, God bought the gift of life. You see, Romans 4, Paul says that he was delivered, delivered up by the Father for our offenses here Take him in our stead. And that he was raised again for our justification. Now, if the wages of sin is death, as long as the, the, the sin debt isn't paid, death can hold him. That's why Peter in Acts 2 says it was not possible for death to hold him. Why? Hebrews 9 says he has put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he'll appear the second time without sin. 
Where did he put sin? He put it away. How did he do that? He completely and totally paid the debt. And his resurrection back to life, now listen, the wage of sin is death. The only way he could come back to life is if he completely paid the debt, the death, the debt, the sin penalty, the debt penalty of sin is completely paid. And so the resurrection is sort of like the receipt that says paid in full. And therefore, God can justify me. He can justify you. That's a big Bible word. You see the word justice in there? You can literally stand before the justice bar of the judge of all the universe and be right. Have him declare you righteous. That is, that you are right. You say, but Brother Rick, I'm a sinner. I'm not. Ah, oh, but that's the, that's, that's the beauty of God's grace. He takes you out of who you are in yourself, what Paul calls the natural man, and he puts you into Jesus Christ. God made him to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God where? In him. You see, that's the key. And it's offered to us as a, as a gift. Now somebody, you know, as people have these strange ideas when they, they want to hang on to their religious uh, performance. And they say, well, Brother Rick, if you just say it's a free gift, then then that's just cheap, easy grace. Well, bite your tongue. Don't say something like that. Listen, if something cost God the life of the one who he said was the apple of his eye, the darling of his heart, if it cost Jesus Christ his own life's blood, how dare you say, much less think, that the gift that that blood bought was purchased cheaply. The fact that it's given to you as a gift, because you had nothing to pay to receive it, to earn it, to gain it, doesn't make it cheap. My wife wears on her finger a ring that I gave her. It's a wedding ring. It's a diamond. And I bought that ring for her four decades ago, over four decades ago, put it on her finger. And it didn't cost her anything. Well, it really cost her her life, didn't it? But I paid the price for it. I went down, found it. This is the one I want to give her. I paid for it. I brought it, and I gave it to her. And that night I gave that ring to her and asked her to be my wife. Do you think she's, you know, scrounged around and found her pocketbook and says, Here, Ricky, let me pay you for it. Why, you know better than that. That was a gift that I paid for. It was free to her because it was a gift of my love. I bought it. I paid for it. You see, you don't go to God and ask God to say, Lord, what can I do to pay you? God said, I paid for it with a price you could never, you could never pay. When people think they can pay for their salvation, you can earn your salvation, you can perform to gain your salvation, what your problem is, you think that you aren't lost. You don't believe you're as lost as God said you're lost, but you are. And when God offers you a gift, the only thing you can do is to receive it. Now, how do you receive a gift? And when you receive it, what do you say? Do you say, how much can I pay? 
no. You say thank you. Romans chapter 4, verse number 4. Listen to this. Now to him that works not, I'm sorry, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. In other words, if you work to get something, what you get came to you because it was owed to you. The wage of sin is death. You get hell and the lake of fire because it's owed to you. You work for it. But to him that works not, but believes on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see, it's when you don't work, but you put your faith in the work that God did for you in Jesus Christ, that your faith in what Jesus Christ did is counted to you as righteousness. In other words, your faith in what Christ did gives you the benefit of what he did imputed, reckoned, counted to you. Can you see how, how foolish it is to believe that you have to do something to please God? Number one, when you can't, when you keep failing, when you keep falling short, when you keep lowering the bar so maybe you can get over it for a while but you keep you keep failing <laughs> you get tired of it even low putting it low and you fall can you see how foolish it is when god himself says i know that about you and therefore i have provided it for you why because i love you and herein is my love not that you love me but that i loved you and I've given my son, I've given the payment fully and completely. The only, the only reason you wouldn't take the gift is because you don't think you need the gift. And God says you, does, you do. And God says that gift is enough. And God said the way you receive it is you simply believe me. God set forth the Lord Jesus Christ to be the fully, payment, the fully, fully satisfying payment for our sins through faith in his blood. God the Father believes what Jesus Christ did is enough. What do you believe? Do you agree with God? Well, if you do, you have life. When you, the moment you rely exclusively on what Jesus Christ did for you at Calvary, God saves you and gives you his life. He, he takes your death and gives it to Christ. He takes his life and gives it to you. The poet said, in evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Oh, ne'er till my latest breath shall I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair, I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Ah, oh, but a second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I died that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. That's the truth of the grace of God. That's the truth of the gospel, the good news of God's love and grace to us 
in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul meant when when he told the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thy house, anybody you know that'll believe it can be saved too. Can I tell you that that's the good news of the grace of God? I'd like to give you an invitation today to trust him. Rely exclusively on the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. And God will save you the moment that you do that. Can I tell you that I'd also like to give you a Bible study entitled, What is the Second Death? And I don't give it to you to beat you up, but to, 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 to sober the reality of the ultimate penalty of sin and what Christ endured to pay that penalty with his blood. You can find us on the internet, graceimpact.org, graceimpact.org. But the easiest way to get us is just to call us here, 888-535-2300. Thanks for being here today. I look forward to meeting you next week right here, the same time. Till then, 